Sometimes in the Bible, there are verses that at first glance seem to contradict each other. And a few weeks ago, someone in my church congregation came up to me uh, with a few of those verses and asked if I could do a sermon explaining what exactly those verses were trying to say uh, and how did they not contradict each other. And that's the sermon that we're going to be doing today. So the first passage of scripture she referenced is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's Jesus talking, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And from that passage, she was specifically highlighting that last sentence, that the yoke of Jesus is easy and the burden that he gives us is light. But then you take that message and you compare it to some of the other verses that are in the Bible. So let me run through just a few of these. First, we have Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, that says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, that's nice. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So now we're starting to see sufferings coming into the picture kind of as a requirement. You may ask, well, well, what kind of sufferings is that? What, what kind of sufferings did Christ have? Well, we can see that in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So now we're seeing suffering and hatred coming at us and persecution as well. And you may ask, well, maybe that just applied to the apostles and, you know, the disciples, right? Maybe that doesn't apply to me. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 puts it straightforward. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not, not a whole lot of wiggle room in that verse. And so this is where we have this kind of dilemma here, is that Jesus is saying his yoke is easy, the burden he gives us is light. But then it talks about how being a follower of Christ is full of persecution and suffering and hatred towards you. So let's break these verses up a little bit and, and dive into what exactly these verses are saying and why they are saying them to understand how these two things um, connect with each other and without contradicting each other. So the first verse I read uh, shows us very clearly that Christ's burden is easy for us to bear. It's not difficult. It's not heavy. It's not something that we have to struggle with. The burden that Christ gives us is easy to bear. His burden is light. And this is an important message that needs to be held in context with the 
only other message that was being given at this time, specifically by the Pharisees. Because in this passage, Jesus is saying uh, that the yoke and burden that he gives us is easy, and it's being compared to the uh, Pharisees' message. And we see kind of the Pharisees' message about the burden that the people had in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. It says that they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And I've talked about that before, about how the Pharisees took the Mosaic law that had been given to Moses by God, but then added more rules and regulations to it that the Israelite people needed to follow in order to be right with God. And so they were placing this heavy load on the people of what was required for them to be God's people, what was required for them to live a righteous life, and they also didn't really do anything to help those people with it either. And we contrast that with the new covenant that we have in Jesus now, where the work that was required to pay the price for our sin is now completely done for us through the work of Jesus Christ, that through his death, that price has been paid. And it's very much like having a large loan, right? You know, I went to college, so I'm very familiar with student loans and the fact that I took out that loan, and now I'm responsible for paying it back. Um, but when Jesus came in to the equation, it was like him coming in and completely paying that loan for me so I didn't have to pay it. That's essentially what Jesus does with our sin. And you contrast that with what the Pharisees were saying, where the Pharisees were saying, you have to do X, Y, and Z and jump through all of these different hoops because you are sinful people and that's how you're right with God and, and best of luck to you with it. Jesus was quite the opposite in saying, let me do the work for you. I'll take care of it. I'll pay that price. And so when you compare the burden that Jesus gives us in the new covenant with the burden that was being given by the Pharisees, well, that's a lot easier of a burden to carry. And especially for those people that were living under the Pharisees for so long, you could imagine how weary and burdened they felt. And that's why Jesus was saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is is like, let me pay that for you. And what a wonderful thing that is when you are able to take that burden that you've been carrying and give it to Christ because he's paid for it. Imagine how Joseph's brothers must have felt who had betrayed Joseph and uh, had planned to kill him, but then ended up selling him into slavery, never to see him again for many, many, many years until Joseph eventually makes himself known to them after testing to see if they were repentant for what they had done. And when he does so, they're at first very frightened because this was someone that they were about to kill and sold into slavery, someone that they had betrayed. And Joseph said, you don't have to pay that debt for how you wronged me. And he said, bring the family, bring everyone here where I am, and I will take care of you. 
instead of requiring that, they now spend the next few years making right, making up for the ways that they had wronged him. Instead, Joseph chose to extend forgiveness to them. And what a great parallel that is for what Jesus did for us, where he says, I will pay that price for you. You don't have to make it up to me. You don't have to worry about making yourself righteous. Let me do that for you. So then it's our responsibility, after having been given that gift, to act very much in the way that Joseph did, where we then demonstrate that same kind of ease for forgiveness to other people. That we don't then say, well, you've wronged me in this way, so you have to make yourself right in my eyes. But instead, just like how when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, just like when we were still messing up our life, Jesus said, just come to me, I'll pay that price for you. That's the same attitude and and same kind of mercy and grace that we should demonstrate for other people to take this easy burden that Christ has given to us, where the only requirement is to accept what has been done. And that's it. How easy that is. That's the same way that we should interact with other people. So that explains that side, that the easy side of the burden. Now let's talk about all those other verses that I referenced, the ones that essentially promise us a life of persecution and trouble and hatred from those that are around us. Not very pleasant, but it's also a reality of being a follower of Christ. And we have to look at where that persecution, where that trouble and tribulation and trials, where it comes from. Because when you read through those passages, you see that it doesn't come from God. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, we get uh, um, a clearer picture and and really a great uh, picture painted for us on where that persecution comes from. Because it says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So this passage is again talking about salvation and how the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. That is the only way, and it's open and accessible to all who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But that's the only way. It's a narrow road. And so what you have then is this dichotomy, this conflict between those that know that truth and the rest of the world. And when you accept that truth of Jesus Christ, that that is the only way to salvation, and you're traveling through that narrow gate and on that narrow road that leads to life, then you are now moving in a different direction from the rest of the world that is going through the wide gate and down the broad road that leads to destruction. And so just that uh, acceptance of the truth of Jesus Christ and following him in our life towards righteousness, living in that truth 
requires there to be a challenge to the world of sin. Because you are saying that where everyone else is headed, the direction that they're all going is incorrect, and you are going to now take a different path than the path that everyone around you is taking. And when you have that life shift that takes place and you begin moving in a different direction, well, now you're causing conflict. You're going to meet some resistance as you try to make that change. It's just like if you're on a boat traveling down the river. If you're just floating the river, it's really easy to just let the current take you. But as soon as you try to change direction and go a different way than the current is trying to take you, you're going to begin meeting some resistance as you make that change because you're going in a different direction. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you live in a world of sin. And when you choose to follow me, when you choose to accept this easy gift, this easy burden that I have given to you, that as you do that, you are now going to receive persecution from the rest of the world because you are going a different direction. And that persecution doesn't just come from the world that we live in either. Last week when I was talking about the Holy Spirit, I talked about how the Holy Spirit wrestles with our own sinful spirit. And just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that our selfish desires go away. So that means that when you're trying to follow Christ, not only are you going to receive resistance from the world that you live in and those who reside in that world— but you're also going to be encountering resistance from within yourself as well. That says, this isn't comfortable. This isn't where I want to be going. This isn't what I desire. And there's going to be resistance there. So here we are beginning to see how the burden of following Christ is full of persecution. It is full of suffering. It is full of hatred. And it begins to become difficult. But it's important to make that distinction that the difficult part we aren't receiving from God, it's simply a condition of living in a sinful world. But the burden we received from Christ was easy. But since we still have that difficulty of living in the sinful world, there are other promises made to us. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, says Jesus said to his his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me so again he's pointing to that resistance that comes from within that we have to be able to deny our selfish desires deny what we want and and follow Christ in the way that he is leading us That's what's required to be a follower of Christ. In order to do that, we have to be able to deny certain selfish desires within ourselves. But man, when we do, when we are able to overcome those challenges, what a wonderful thing it is. And and Jesus also gives us the pathway to do that. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is being very honest. As long as you're in this world, there will be suffering, there will be persecution, and it's going to be difficult to fight against your own flesh spirit to follow the guiding of my Holy Spirit. But the way that we do that, the way we know it's possible, is because Jesus has already done it. And so this is what I think is really, really cool, because as we follow Christ, we will face that resistance, because we're going a different way than the rest of the world. But because Christ has overcome the world, we can then follow his example to overcome that resistance as well. So we encounter the resistance as a result of following Christ, but also we overcome that resistance also by following Christ. That as we persevere, as we are faithful to God, that he will guide us through each and every part of that. So I hope that kind of clears up this understanding that the burden of Christ, yes, it is easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. When you are weary from the rest of this world, you are burdened from all the weight of sin that you carry, and it seems hopeless, and the choices you make just lead to more and more trouble as you go down that road to destruction. You can go to Jesus and he will give you rest. He will take that burden from you. And as we follow him, yes, there's going to be suffering and persecution because we still live in a sinful world. But as we continue to follow him, he will guide us, guide us through it and help us to overcome the world and the resistance that we face both outside and inside because he has already overcome that resistance and has set the example for us now before i wrap this whole message up and put a bow on it there's another aspect of the burden of christ and the struggles of following christ that i want to point out and this is in galatians chapter 6 verse 2 and galatians was one of the letters that paul wrote to the christians in the galatian church he tells them, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So here we have an extra instruction, to carry each other's burdens. And that's another thing that I want us to realize, is that the burdens that Christ has, have, has given to us should be carried together as the church. It's not something that should be carried by oneself, but rather that you are able to bring people around you to support you and help you carry that burden. That's part of why God has given us the church, to be something that we can rely on when we need a little extra help. Because if we're talking about a heavy burden... Let's say that you've got a heavy box right in front of you, and you needed to lift that burden. You needed to carry that box. If you were going to pick it up, what would probably be 
the one piece of advice that someone would tell you? They would probably say, don't lift with just your back. Right? And because that's usually what people say, you know, don't make sure you don't lift with your back, you know, bend your knees and, and, and lift with your knees and your arms instead of just your back. Otherwise, you might hurt your back. And what you're doing when you do that then is instead of placing all that weight, all that pressure on your back, you are now lifting with your whole body and that effort is being dispersed throughout your body. And so there's a much lower risk of hurting yourself by lifting in that way because all of that burden isn't being placed on one part of your body. It's being placed on the entire body. And scripture talks about the church as the body of Christ, each with different members, but operating as one whole. And God desires for us, as we have people in our church, and us ourselves that have burdens that we have to carry, different temptations that we have to wrestle with, that we bring people around us to support us so that we don't have to carry it on our own, and that we are also available for others that are trying to carry their burdens and going and offering our help, our assistance to them so that they don't have to do it on their own either. And God desires the church to work that way. He longs for us to carry each other's burdens. Now, here's the catch. In order for the church to be a place where people can receive help, it first needs to, needs to be a place where people can request help. Because if you don't know what's going on in someone's life, there's no way you can help them with it. And I think that over the years, the church has stopped becoming a place or, or has continued to be a place where people can go to receive help. But it's become more and more difficult to be a place that people can request help. Especially when you have people that just go to church on Sunday morning, walk in, sit down in the sanctuary, listen to a sermon, and then leave. And you're never interacting with each other. And even if you are, maybe it's just, well, good morning and, and kind of the pleasantries. But there's really no opportunity to request help for what you are struggling with. And that's something that I really wrestle with is, is how can we turn the church, rebuild the church into a place that people can go and request help? Because I know that in my experience, the church often has not been that kind of place. In fact, if I have an issue, I'm very hesitant to go to a Christian about it. Because in my past experiences, Christians are much more likely to bring accusations upon the person instead of helping them. Let me share one of those examples. When I was in youth group, I was dating a, this girl, and I found out that her and her family didn't really go to church. And they were, you know, she was still a Christian, but they just didn't really go to church. And that was very concerning for me. You know, I felt a call on my life at a very early age to be a pastor. And so if somebody wasn't as serious about God as they should be, then that 
means it probably wouldn't work between us. And even more than just that, I cared about this girl. I, I wanted what was best for her. And I knew that what was best for her was to have a relationship with God. Especially, you know, even before her relationship with me, she needed to have a relationship with God. And so I went to my youth pastor with this concern because I was wondering, well, how, how could I help encourage her to get involved in church? And, you know, should I uh, try to get her involved in this church here? Or should I try to get her involved with her church, a church closer to where she is? And, and like, how could I do this? Because I was very concerned about this. And so I bring this concern to him. And he basically says, oh, yeah, well, come on, Zach. I know you're not actually concerned about her going to church. You just want to be around her more. You just wanted to be here so you can be around her. You're more concerned about just spending time with her. And I couldn't believe that he had said that. Because I genuinely was concerned about her relationship with God and wanting what was best for her. And even though I told him that that's what my concern was, he just dismissed it and said, no, that's not the reason why. You're just, you know, all you care about is being around her. All you care about is this romantic relationship between the two. You don't really care about her relationship with God. And it's things like that that can really prevent people from coming to believers seeking help. When you go with a problem and you're provided with accusations instead of support and assistance, it makes it very unlikely for you to go to them for help again. And I know that that wasn't a one-time occurrence. I know that's not just something that uh, happened in that one church at that one time. And it was just a bad case because I see things like ha that happen all the time, even in the leadership of the church, even amongst the pastors. Just, uh, I think it was like last month, I was in a pastor email group and somebody sent a request out because they were going to do music at a youth camp. And they only had a couple people that had agreed to help lead worship. And so the person sent an email out asking if anybody would be willing to help them or knew somebody that would be able to help them and, and sent that to the pastors in the area. And the response that this guy got just made me so angry because the pastors begin to say, well, you know, maybe God is trying to tell you that you should just keep it simple, and maybe you don't need all these instruments. You know, maybe God just wants you to keep it simple. Maybe God's trying to tell you that. You should listen better to what God is trying to tell you. Again, somebody coming, looking for help, looking for assistance, and is instead brought uncalled for accusations against them. It made me so angry. I get disappointed sometimes that that's how people in church act. Especially when we're called to carry each other's burdens. 
to help each other out, to be the body of Christ. And I think we need to get a whole lot better at sharing our burdens with each other. And that means listening to people who come to us with burdens and actually helping them rather than bringing accusations against them. And it also means that we personally open up about the things that we are struggling with, the burdens that we have, so that we can you know, receive help for them and also sometimes just break the ice to let other people who are there know that not everyone in this church is perfect. I'm not perfect. I have things I need help with. And sometimes being the first one to speak up about those things is what allows other people to speak up about the things that they need help with. And I think a lot of churches now have gotten so far away from that. And it's not just whether or not the church is, is willing to give people help, but we've really removed the opportunity for people to even ask for help. And a lot of that comes from the ways we've treated them in the past, and I think a lot of it also comes from just our instinct to put on a face and hesitance to share anything personal. And if we want to carry each other's burdens as we've been instructed in Scripture to do, then we need to get better at it. There needs to be a change. This is all a part of the burden that we bear of following Christ. And because Christ has made our burden so easy to bear, because he did all the work for us, we should then help each other with the burdens that we have to bear as a result of following him. And the struggles that we have as we try to live that life and that calling. Christ has made our burden easy. It is then our burden to join with one another and help each other to carry the burdens that we have to strive through the persecution, strive through the hatred and suffering. As we walk down that narrow path to a life of righteousness. That is the burden we have. And I pray that we will all be a lot better at sharing each other's burdens and walking in that together. So, until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any questions or comments, uh, get in contact me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can also email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com, and I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, thank you again for listening, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.